Hey. Hey. We're back. We're back. We're here. And happy. We're happy. It's. Re- I'm ready. I'm so ready for today. I am not ready for today. Well, she's not ready because today Meg is telling us a uh, I don't want to say like wonderful story because this probably is going to be a pretty sad story. It's going to be a bad one, guys. I mean, it's called Hazard in the Heights. So, I mean, you know, not the best, but the name is fitting. Hazard in the Heights? Yeah. Oh, that's that's what she uh, uh, like, oh, Yeah. Hazard in the Heights. You're so clever. Yeah, I was telling John the other day, like, how clever you are with titles and stuff. And I was trying to rename the Iron Goat Trail titles, and I was like, well, well. Ashley's not here. <laughs> We all bring something to the table. You're just clever. That does make me jealous. Wow. I'm just like so straightforward. One day you're going to come up with the perfect one and it's going to be better than anything I've ever come up with. And it's just going to like blow us both away. Um, all right. I can't wait for that day. Well, uh, today (laughs) it's probably not that day, but we're going to go ahead and uh, get on with the getting on on with the getting on. All right. So I'm taking you back to Olala, Washington, and this is around 1910. Ooh, not great times in anywhere. Not just Olala. Especially (laughs) not Washington, as we Oh, no. Washington was dirty. It's been a a rough time here in Washington. Yeah. Um, But the story centers around um, Miss Linda Hazard, who was a licensed... uh, She was licensed by Washington State as a fasting specialist in 1910, although she had no medical background and she had very little formal training working with patients. Was that something that was, like, people often got certified in? Or was it, like, a thing she made up and asked for a certificate for? Basically, yeah, it was kind of some... um, It was kind of like a loophole that she found, and I'll tell you about that in a little bit. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, so she she had very little formal training working with patients, and she had introduced the idea of starting a center that focused on fasting and starving yourself uh, as a method of curing people of their ailments. There is nothing that makes me feel so much better other than being super hungry. I know. Hangry isn't a thing. Mm. No, I just, just a phase you know, anytime better. I'm sick, I'm just like, mm, you know what would make this so much better is if, if I was starving. If I was really starving you know, right now. Sick, it's kind of weird, but like when I'm sick, eating does almost make me feel worse. Yeah, I don't it's need, like, I don't need a ton. no appetite there at all. I'll I, just survive on like liquids for a few days. And oh, I'll yeah. Now I'm fucking starving. <laughs> I eat everything in the house. Everything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's just when I'm sick. Other than that, I'm a pretty big piglet. Yeah. But oh, anyways. <laughs> I can't starve myself. It's impossible. <laughs> well, you know. I, I guess I could try, but mm-hmm. I like food way too much. But why? Uh, yeah. Why? Um, people paid to come to her institution where they were treated, and by treated, I mean tortured. Um, so I'm just going to get into her background. And Linda was born Linda Burfield, and she was born in 1867 in Carver County, Minnesota. And at 18, she married and had two children. Um, but in 1898, she left her husband and her two children to pursue her career, like her dream career, 
uh, to start a wellness retreat in Minneapolis? Uh, I have so many questions. Mm. Mm. It, it seemed to be pretty common. It's a common thing. I people, mean, people do it. People it, did it. It wasn't as common for like ladies, but at the same time, like two people in the stories that we have told just been like, "I'm done with this family. I'm gonna just." Leave. Yeah, I'm just going to move on, guys. It's not a thing. Seems like you don't need me here, so I'm going to go ahead and go. <laughs> yeah. But it was also, like, she was kind of um, pretty untraditional for, like, a lady of the time because she was, you know, professing herself to be a doctor. And back then, like, ladies weren't doctors. No. They were, yeah, like, the ladies. They, they were ladies. Businesses. Yeah, like, they were ladies. They just raised kids and... Stay home. Or they were placeholders. Placeholders. Yeah. Placeholders with wombs. Mm. Mm. That's so cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> she, uh, she, yeah, so she left and she started her own practice in Minneapolis. And she was the author of several books. And I think her first book was released in uh, 1908. And it was called Fasting for the Cure of Disease. And although she had, again, little training as an osteopathic nurse, Linda said disease could be cured by fasting and allowing the digestive system to rest and be cleansed, and this would uh, remove impurities from the body. Hmm. Fasting, she said, could be, should, she said it could cure anything from a toothache to tuberculosis. No. Mm, yes. Mm. Absolutely, no, I, for sure. I mean, those are such different things, though. Like, you can't just be like... Food is the root of all evil. Everything wrong in the world is food. And I guess, yeah, I do see her perspective on that. But yeah, because that is kind of true. Like if you're putting crap into your body, like you're going to feel like crap generally is what I've experienced in life. Yeah, but not like coughing up blood. But not like coughing up blood. Yeah, that's its own thing. That's that's exactly. That's a different. That's a whole other different. Yeah, that is messed up in your guts. Like you should get to a real doctor for that. (laughs) This is not the same. (laughs) And although I guess I have the perspective that like medical advancement has come a long way since then, but even back in 1910, a lot of people were like, no, that's like a lot of the doctors were like that is. That shit crazy. What are you doing? <laughs> like you can't just starve yourself and expect all of your problems to go away. I would be really curious to see what she ate in a daily like in a, in a day. You know, what it what did you eat, I'm ma'am? Sure she was a vegetarian. I know that. Mm. But, but was she, like, starving herself on the basis, daily basis? Or, like, was she the inventor of intermittent fasting? So she wasn't the inventor of intermittent fasting, but she um, definitely learned from people that brought that idea. Oops, excuse me. Into her. <laughs> into her. You okay there? Yeah, I just, I think, I don't know what I was doing with my hand. That's fine. But what do she I do definitely, with my hands? what do I do with my hands? <laughs> Right here, like a little dinosaur Rex. There you go. There we go. Okay, that's fine. And so, so she definitely was trained as an osteopathic nurse by people that believed in this type of treatment. 
stop laughing at me. I'm trying not to, but you still have your hands up. <laughs> so it's throwing me off. This is how I stand when I just don't know what to do with my limbs, you know, like, cause yeah. I try not to like cross my arms cause it's like kind of, you know, closed off and I try not to like push them behind my back and hold my hands like that because then my chest is all puffed out and I think it looks weird. So I just get stuck with my hands sometimes and like my arms and I'll just hold them in close to my chest like a little Tyrannosaurus Rex. And that's where they stay. That's where they stay. That's fine. That's where they chill. Do you ever wish you could just take them off? My arms? Yeah. No. I uh, never wish that. I wish it like every night that I sleep. <laughs> I sleep. I would struggle with like that when I put them back on. <laughs> so... This, this is a, a whole train of you know Ashley what? thought, and I, I'm really into it. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you have your arms. I don't um, ever want you to... I hope that all your wishes come true, and that your sleeping gets better, and maybe if there is someday a way for you to take off your arms and sleep really rest, like restfully. Yeah, I mean, I want I want them back on during the day, yeah, but, sure. you know... I hope that happens for you someday. Oh, Thank you. Thank yeah. you for your well wishes. Yeah, you know, robot um, arms. Carry on, my friend. Where even were we? <laughs> we, we? We went on a little walk, I guess. I we I think we need a walk. I think that's what the problem is. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Yeah. Okay. So she said fasting could be cured. Uh, she could cure it uh, from a toothache to tuberculosis. And that the real source of all disease was impure blood brought on by impaired digestion. Hmm. So her preferred method of treatment for her patients often included hours-long enemas and scalding and freezing baths. And she would throw canvas over her patients so that they couldn't move about, like in the bathtub, if they tried to get out. And this was supposed to be good for them. She... Gave them approximately two cups of tomato broth served a day, along with sometimes juice and sometimes fruit. So it was an all-vegetable-based diet. I, I like that it was vegetable broth and not, like, tomato soup. Yeah. Or, like, like a tomato broth. Not a tomato broth. Yeah, well, yeah. It's just, I mean, like, it's a hot, a hot I, boiled tomato water? I think it's just, like, they juiced the vegetables and then mm-hmm. kind of warmed it up. So it's, like, a hot juice. But so, when it's hot, you know, they call it a broth. That sounds so delicious. Does that make hot orange juice like a hot orange broth? Not that anyone would ever drink that. I just, yeah, that's where I I went. It's like, when would you drink hot orange juice? I don't know. I'm just saying. I mean, valid. Turn into an orange broth? At that point, yeah. Maybe, I guess, if you were baking or something. Oh. They could do stuff with orange juice and maybe have to heat it. Well, if I ever see orange broth in a, a recipe, I will know exactly what to do. You'll know exactly what to do. Don't worry, guys. I got this. You got this. We know what to Where's do. Where's the microwave? <laughs> so, and, uh, yeah, so she would give them broth. Uh, she would administer a therapeutic massage that had been described as more of aggressive and more like a pounding or a beating or a pummeling than a massage. So those were just kind of her classic methods of um, curing people. She probably didn't offer a happy ending option. I mean, that would be kind of nice after a good beating. You just add the word off and they're no big deal. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm having a day, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, just starving and happy endings. It's a theme for sure. Ah, here we are. Relief. Relief. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. So I was wondering, like, if it didn't work out with her first husband and, like, her kids just because she was trying to subject them to this first, like, type of lifestyle, or if they kicked her out, or if, like, they just didn't agree with her method, so she left them. But either way, I think they were better off. Because if she was the one that was supposed to be in charge of, like, the household as a woman and she was just giving them, like, vegetable broth every day and they're like, woman, this is bullshit. This <laughs> was a mutually beneficial breakup. Maybe it didn't feel that way, but I didn't yeah. get into um, her super recent, like, her first marriage and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So she opened her first practice in Minneapolis in 1902. Okay. And she was working under the name of Linda Burfield Perry. And I'm assuming Perry was like her first wedded legal name. Um, and then she started, that's when she started killing people in Minneapolis. So her, fa- her first patient to be documented death, because I don't know how many patients she had before that that weren't documented or. You know, maybe they just lived through it. Who knows? Because she was actually taking in patients kind of like left and right. There was a lot of people like backing, even though it was known to be like a kooky, quacky method. um, A lot of people were kind of showing up for it. They're like, you know, osteopathic, interested that type of medicine mm-hmm. so she did have like clients but um she this was the first one that was documented to die under her care and her name was gertrude young and she died after coming to linda's practice 39 days when oh. she had started so almost 40 days after she started fasting she she kicked it and she was hoping that the fasting was going to cure her numbness because she had suffered a stroke and that had left her with numbness on, like, one side of her body. So, her like, her one of her arms didn't function very well and, like, her leg didn't function very well. I feel like that would just make you all over a week instead of just, like, half week. Instead of half week. Yeah, you know, I think it was a shot in the dark, but maybe they were just to the point where, like, this is, why not try anything? A little bit desperate. Yeah, why not try whatever. And um, the coroner did the autopsy uh, determined that she had died of starvation uh, after she had been checked into the clinic. And the coroner was actually the Gertrude's, like, personal doctor, which she Aww. would visit back and forth, back and forth between Linda and him while she was doing this treatment. And that's the other thing. It's, like, people were kind of free to go and, like, roam about. Like, they could leave and come back. Oh, okay. They didn't, like, sneak out and start eating french fries on the street, you know? No pizza. That, that's no definitely things. what I would fast. do. I'm really busy but, right yeah, now. yeah, people could, like, come and go. So um, she was bouncing back and forth, and her actual physician kept trying to warn her that this wasn't going to cure her numbness. Like, she was on a, she's on the wrong path because she's causing way more harm to herself yeah. than prior to, like, doing this. That probably felt really helpless for him, especially because yeah. she clearly did not listen. She didn't and- listen, and was just I think just kind of a sad thing to see yeah um yeah so he tried to have Linda prosecuted for the death and even though 
she kind of was responsible. She also kind of wasn't responsible because she wasn't legally a doctor. And um, Gertrude participated willingly. So there was nothing to prosecute her on. Oh, man. Although the the question was raised about what happened to her jewelry that she came in with. Because she had some, like, heirlooms that she wore all the time. And... Linda insisted that Gertrude had given them to her as a gift. Oh, of course. She just wanted her to have her jewelry. That's so nice of her. Probably didn't want to, you I'm know, sure into her family or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, although nobody could prove that was true, they could not prove that was not true. And that was kind of that. She was off the hook. That's so stupid. Isn't that wild? Because pretty clearly she was she was guilty. Something's a little suspicious there. Something's up. Um, so, during this time period, she met the real love of her life, and his name was Samuel Christman Hazard. Ooh, okay. And this was how she became Linda Hazard. Um, he had been discharged from the military for unauthorized use of army funds. Oh, so this seems like they're going to get along pretty well. Yeah, so he was known to be um, a swindler, a crook, Known for fraud and forgery, and he was also just kind of known as like a drunk. Mm. Just yes, stand up petty guy. criminal. You know, just the regular standard. My type. That's my type. <laughs> That's my type. That's my type. <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> they got married, oh. uh, but old Sam was not officially divorced from his second wife because Linda was his third marriage. Oh. Ah. Yeah. Ah. He's that type. I like it. Yeah. My guy. <laughs> he probably declared divorce. You know, you just kind of holler divorce into the void. Into the void and then it's just And then official. it makes it so. Yeah. Is that like Yeah, you don't need like a receipt or anything when you send off the paperwork. Unless you try to get married again and then you're gonna get put on trial for bigamy. <laughs> That's what happened. Oh, man. He was put on trial for bigamy, and he was sentenced up for up to two years in jail. Oh. Although, throughout his trial, it seemed like he was really back and forth on whether he actually wanted to continue being on this path with Linda, or if he wanted to stick it out with his second wife. I, I wonder, like, when people are convicted of bigamy, if they, like, their marriages are still valid, because... I don't know. Which one? I mean, do you... You know, there's just so many, like, weirdness things about that. Like, are you actually married? Are you not married? I don't know. Is it... What, how, like, what was the legal process? What's the legal process? Are they, they like, paperwork? Did right? you decide you were married? Did they, like, did they go to the other wives and are just like, so you probably don't want to be married to this guy because he's marrying everybody, so... Let if me he just, asks you to marry him, just say no. Just say no. Just say no. Yeah, not that hard. Not that hard. Probably that. Probably that. No. So it did, it did say that he was kind of back and forth, but he ultimately ended up moving on with Linda. And no one is sure why, but she only visited him once while he was in prison because he wouldn't allow her to visit because oh. he was planning on continuing the, his path with, like, his second wife, and he was writing her from prison all the time. She was waiting for him to get let out, and they were going to start their lives together. But after he had this visit with Linda... She had something on him. She had 100%. to have. She had to have had something yeah. on him. There's she no... like, you're going to love me or you're going to love no one. Or no one. It's me or death, baby. I will kill everybody. 
Burn it down. <laughs> Psychopath. Right. So you're going to come home with me, right? <laughs> yeah. So after his release, they decided to head west to Washington. And Linda Hazard began practicing in Seattle. She was commuting by ferry from a 40-acre plot of land in the Kitsap County town known as Olala. And she named her home Wilderness Heights. And she planned to eventually build a big sanitarium there for her clinic. And that was, like, her goal. You know, she was really starting to, like, she brought that she brought that big plot of land. And she was like, um, it's going to be here. So she brought the energy. She was ready. She was ready to get this practice in motion. Dreamer. But, yeah, she had big dreams. And, again, she was kind of like a, um, you know, like a... Advanced lady, I guess. For the time. She was a unconditional, like a non-traditional lady. So she was practicing medicine, with quotations, and she was uh, buying land. She was starting a business in downtown Seattle. So, I mean, she was just kind of untraditional lady. Leave it to her. Leave it to Linda. Leave it to Linda. That's also a great title. Oh, my God. So many good titles. Yeah. Ooh. We'll, we'll save that one for another Linda story. Another I'll find another story. I'll find another Linda. Another Linda. I'm sure there's another one. So, she, despite her Mac, her Mac, her <laughs> lack of medical degree, she was licensed to practice medicine in Washington. Uh, a loophole in a licensing law grandfathered in some practitioners. Sorry. Dogs. Of uh, some practitioners of alternative medicine who didn't have medical degrees, and that included her. Oh, so she got grandfathered in. She, they were just like, mm, yeah, you've been doing this for a while. You're good. You, you look like you know what you're doing. We'll just like give you a license. We'll just give you a doctor's license. No big deal. No big deal. So, yeah, oh. that, that and that with that she started her path. Um. Again, I'm just going to throw in there that fasting during this time period had been considered like a very hoaxy medical, like medical cure, uh, popular with just health fattists, mm. and it wasn't super popular. Okay. Um, but despite her lack of a degree, people still came and gave her practice a try. She was working out of 15th, uh, 4th Avenue at the Northern Bank and Trust Building. In downtown Seattle, and she made her and her first registered murder in Washington was uh, a woman named Daisy Hagland, and she was uh, Norwegian, and her immigrant parents owned the land, which is now uh, Alki Point. Oh, okay, over in West Seattle. I mean, that sucks. So, but yeah, that's kind of interesting. So after a fifty-day fast under Linda's careful eye, she died on February twenty-six, nineteen oh eight. And at the age of 38. Aww. She left behind a three-year-old son named Iver. Did it say why she was fasting? Um, she was having uh, issues with her stomach. But during her autopsy, it was confirmed that she had um, stomach cancer. She was going to die of starvation, basically, no matter what. Okay. But um, this just sped it right along. Sped it, sped it up, yeah. Poor lady. And I just want to give you a little 
fun fact in the midst of this sad, sad story of Daisy, ha- Daisy Hagland. Um, her son grew up and became a restaurant owner. I was going to ask if he was the Ivor, but I didn't want to sound like such a Pacific Northwester. He's the Ivor. His mother was starved to death by Linda Hathard. Nuh-uh. And, okay, oh my gosh. This is... Isn't it so fun that, like, everything kind of connects? Yeah. I I mean... like it. Fun. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it's fun for me. It's fun fun for... uh, Everything's sad, but, like, you know, it's like a fun journey to see how all of our cities and stuff connect around yeah. each other and around all these awful people that were just breeding here. Just sort of just got popping off in popping the Pacific up. Northwest. I know. It's just kind of fun. Everything's connected. Yeah. But that is really cool. I, I actually do think that's really cool. This is just a fun little fact. Um, thank you, Ivor, for bringing us delicious fish and chips. I, I do enjoy those fish and chips. <laughs> Her next victim was named Ida Wilcox, and she died in 1908. Um... In 1909, her abuse continued, and she claimed she claimed uh, confirmed two more victims with the possibility of a third. Did anybody like after this first one be like, "This doesn't sound right"? Like, is she supposed to be doing this? So there was like the more this happened, because if you think about it, she's bringing in lots of clients. Maybe not like a ton, a ton, but you know she has a few. Yeah, and then only one. Or, like, a couple are dying out of, like, the mass. And they could probably use, like, well, she was going to die anyways. It's or just depending like, on exactly, like, what their autopsy said. Because sometimes things were sketchy down in the morgue. Ooh. Yeah. As we learned. As we learned. So, mm. yeah. It's a time period where everything, again, is just a little bit lawless. <laughs> Especially in this area. Especially in the city. So, um, and then, so yeah, she had two more confirmed victims in 1909. Um, they were named Blanche B. Tyndall and Viola Heaton. And then the third that wasn't confirmed as a victim of Linda's, but his death was definitely suspicious. His name was Eugene Stanley Wakelin, and he was the exception to the starvation cause of death. He was 26 year old, tw- 26 years old, and he had been found with a bullet wound in the back of his head on Linda and Sam's property. So this was like a quote unquote not confirmed murder. Not confirmed murder. You know <clears throat> what though? Not confirmed murder because it had been ruled a suicide. Oh, well, you usually shoot yourself in the back of the head. Yeah, that sounds easy. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Lemon <laughs> we're, we're being facetious. Also, sorry, Maya is getting worked up for no reason. Maya, you agreed. You looked at me in the eye and said you weren't going to do this. You betrayed me. You said with your little T-Rex arms. You said it with your arms. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. Anyway, yeah. Back on track. Um... Eugene was the he was the son of a British lord and Linda Hazard somehow got a power of attorney over his estate no way she was good at this she and it becomes kind of like a pattern that you'll recognize um, somehow some way she got power of attorney over his estate and she wired his lawyer complaining that she needed more of his funds to pay his bill at the mortuary. 
she did the autopsy herself. Oh. There's no sort of conflict of interest there at all. I am also in love with the fact that because she practices this fasting medicine, she is now qualified to do autopsies. Yep. In her house. In her house, even. In her home, because the sanitarium wasn't built yet. This is just taking place in her home. That is not shady one bit. No, not shady one bit. Lawless. 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 <laughs> and I love that she's like, you know what? The mortuary is charging so much. I know they're just nickel and diming us. And she's the oh, fucking wait. mortuary. <laughs> it's her. It's her. Yeah. So later, the British vice counsel in Tacoma speculated that he had been shot by the hazards who were frustrated to learn that despite the fact of his, like, aristotic, like, kind of status in his family, he was not a wealthy person. No. Well, no, because he definitely probably was a lord. But that is definitely, I think, the turning point where people started paying a lot more attention as to what was going around, like, around this woman. And, um... Miss Maud Whitney succumbed to treatment from Linda in 1910. Um, then a civil engineer named Earl E. Erdman took into Linda's cure in 1911, and he died of starvation three weeks later. And I read some, like, diary samples of, like, you know, she had patients and they kept diaries and stuff, and I saw some that were just talking about like, I think this guy, he went in because he had pain, like, in his liver. Mm. And he was just talking about, like, oh, my back's really hurting today. I had one cup of broth and an orange. And I'm feeling quite dizzy, but I think I'll feel better tomorrow. Oh, I slept horrible last night. My back is still hurting. Like, it was just continuous entry after entry of just, like, what he was eating, which was just, like, broth and orange juice. Sometimes an orange and oh, as we discovered, orange broth. Yeah, or maybe orange broth. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so like that's so sucky, and, and it's it, just like you can see that they're like actually there trying to get cured, and they actually just bought into this idea that she could do anything. I think she was very convincing as like a. I think she's a saleswoman. Yeah, and she was also really smart. And she was also, like, she just knew how to work around the law very well. And it was just like, yeah, it started to get very peculiar. And people were definitely at this point paying attention because it had been years now that she had been in practice. But she was, like, able to keep doing it because the sanitarium was not even yet built. Yeah. She would just keep them in various, like, apartments and stuff like housing sometimes she would have them at like her home sometimes she'd house them like out of an apartment downtown or like wherever she could like put them up and treat them basically but they're always there willingly which is kind of (sighs) the doozy of it 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 really is it also is kind of crazy that she like you know presents herself as this expert lady and she's like killing people left and right and she's just like i got you i know exactly what's wrong let's fix this yeah you'll be dead though when it's fixed i don't know that they go into her arms just like hopeful and like you know paying her too oh that's the even worse part yeah that's the worst part. I mean, you could just starve yourself if you wanted to. You don't and need to pay somebody else. She is 100% like an opportunist. It's like she mm-hmm. found a certain type of person and she just got a hold of them mentally somehow. 
and then that was that and then somehow like she just escaped the law oh man (laughs) it's crazy so um he died in three weeks and then again that's when the seattle daily times published a story about this and the title read uh woman md kills another patient so it's definitely in the press now. Like she's on radar, and then people are gonna still keep going to her. That's, that's even crazy. That's like free press. Very next line, but people keep on coming. <laughs> that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? So Frank Southard was a lawyer, and he died under uh, Linda's care a few months later, along with Ivan Flux, who was an Englishman who had come to America to buy a ranch. Who hadn't had he had fasted for fifty three days. Wow! During his fast. Linda got control of some of his cash and his property, and his family was told that he died with $70 left in his name. Oh, $70. Oh, lawyer guy. So sad. Um, Louis E. Rader, who was a former legislator, he signed up for treatment from Linda, and authorities tried to, like, warn him away from going that path they were like sir he she's bad news like no she's bad at this she's bad at she's actually not good at healing but he didn't listen so hazard uh treated him at the outlook hotel in 1911 which is now the la Salle hotel which is located in pikes place market Hmm. and health inspectors tried to convince him to leave when uh linda was taking him away to a secret location where he died, weighing less than 100 pounds. It's it's kind of hard because, like, although you feel really terrible for the victims because they are at, like, they are at the court. They are being taken advantage of. And, of course, she's, like, probably waiting till they're really weak and delirious to get them to sign this over. But at the same time, like, how do you... I mean, like, I'm not, like, a heartless person or anything, but how do you feel bad for somebody who, like, reads in the newspaper, this doctor is killing somebody, or they come up to you and they're like, dude, she is bad. And he's like, yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm going to go to her just to test it out. No big deal. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's kind of like that one yeah. weird, and I understand, like, why she escaped prosecution so long, because the judges were probably thinking the same thing, like the fuck why i don't know yeah it's hard to say i guess like maybe people were just really really hopeful and she could kind of play into that oh yeah the desperation the i think the way she like talked to these people she sounded like very educated she Mm -hmm. sounded like exactly like she knew what she was talking about and they believed her so i think she was also Mm -hmm. just kind of like a con man and like um a bad person. Scammer's gonna scam. Scammer's gonna scam. She's a she's a scammer for sure. And then her husband. I don't know. I didn't get a whole lot of information exactly as to like where he fit in in this entire picture. She definitely had all the control. Yeah. But he was like a henchman under her, and I think he did basically whatever she said. Okay. Well, yeah. that's he was there to help. He didn't leave either. So. I mean, she probably couldn't carry all those bodies. Yeah, she, probably <laughs> could. she was a tall Maybe she gave, like, really awesome deep tissue massages to him. <laughs> but, <laughs> go for a massage right now. Uh, this sounds so nice. I haven't, like, looked at these notes in probably a few days, and I was just like, oh, yeah, this is sad. <laughs> oh, yeah. She claimed um, five victims that were recorded, excuse me, in 1911. And this, the last was named Claire Williamson. 
she and her sister Dorothea were visiting from uh, Victoria, British Columbia, and they saw an ad in a newspaper for a wellness retreat that was run by Linda, and they decided that they would give it a go. Okay. Um, they did come from money. They had a large estate in Great Britain, and once Linda got a hold of them, like she, she was not going to let them go. And they were also reported to be like huge hypochondriacs. So again, uh, it's kind of like she finds the right type of person. I bet she works at like a fainting couch store. <laughs> so, <laughs> you like this fainting couch? Well, I have something for you. Yeah. I had a fainting couch for a while, and it was actually my only piece of furniture that I had to sit on. <laughs> That's and I amazing. Hated it. I hated it so much. Oh, they don't look comfortable whatsoever. No. I mean, actually, it was a very comfortable couch. I was just like, I, I just wish I had like a regular couch. Like, right. I just want a regular one. It was... No, I feel like I need to start searching for a fainting couch. I would love to have one just to, like, nap in. Yeah. But I don't have the space. I could make space. I'll figure it out. Yeah, we got this other bed in here now. There is a hidden bed in my room, so... It's amazing. I love it. I love it. So I'm going to give you a little background on these sisters. Um, So, Dora, um, she was born Evelyn Dorothea Williamson, and she went by either Dora or Dorothea. And she was born September 9th, 1873, in India. And Claire was born in London in 1877. So, uh, Dora was the older sister and Claire was the younger sister. Uh, Their father, George Williamson, was a surgeon and an officer in the British Army. And he died in 1877, just a few months after Claire was born. And their mother, Rosalia... Dalmita Williamson died in 1893 when Dora was 20 and Claire was 16. I like that name. I know. Rosalita. Rosalita. Yeah, that's a nice name. Um, so after both of their parents were dead, Dora kind of took on the caretaker role for Claire. And even though they were sisters, they were basically inseparable. And she was kind of more mothering mm-hmm. than sisterly. And an inheritance was left to them by their Scottish grandfather, and it was a big one. So they spent a lot of time traveling. And they just—they were also kind of untraditional ladies. Like, they were in their late 20s, and they were just, like, always together. They had made a decision to just stay together, you know, kind of not get married, not trust any lawyers, not trust any banks with their funds. Like, they were just... It was them, too, and they were just really close-bonded like that, and they That's stuck nice. together throughout their life. Um, yeah, and I thought that was kind of cool. So they decided to go and take her fasting cure, but they didn't tell anybody because their family was already very scornful of their interest in unorthodox medicine. Oh, okay. Yeah, so in February of 1911, they visited Linda at her office in the Northern Bank and Trust Building, And they were told that the sanitarium wasn't ready yet, but she would treat them there in Seattle. And they said, all right. And the sisters settled into the Buena Vista apartments in downtown Seattle. And uh, they survived only on thin vegetable broth. Uh, Dr. Hazard arrived regularly to provide hours-long enemas and pummeling massages. She also began to make inquiries about the sisters' business affairs. 
and offered to store the women's diamond rings and real estate deeds in her office safe. Oh, of course. Store them. Wink, store wink. Them. Yeah, wink, wink. Because they didn't have their own apartment or anything. No. No. Did they specify, like, why they... Were they just, like, hypochondria and someone just like, I am ill? Or yeah. did they have, like, something going on? I think they... Probably throughout their lives, I'm sure they had things come and go. But generally, according to their family, they were, like, perfectly healthy. Okay. Like, they went in there looking like a normal person. So, yeah. By April, the sisters were emaciated and delirious. They were secretly transferred to the Olala residence by twin ambulances out of their Buena Vista apartments. And just before the ambulance set out for the dock, uh, Linda's private attorney obtained a very shady and shaky signature from Claire. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. The, this seems like such a, a perfect like way that she went about it. Like she waited until they were literally like on their deathbed. They were like kind of yeah, very malleable and like easily coerced. And she's like, here, sign this paper. Can you just sign this really quick? Just really quick. It's just for the transfer. Do you want to know what it was for? I'm guessing. Can I guess? You can guess. It's probably a power of attorney, isn't it? Um. No. Oh, what is it? No. Okay. So it was an adjustment to her will, leaving a monthly stipend of 25 pounds of sterling per year to Linda's institution. It was like, you're just going to make a donation for me every year. Just every year. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. And you're not definitely going to die soon. So this doesn't need to be done right away. And this was her will. So she also added that in case of death, she wanted her body to be cremated under the direction of Linda Hazard. So Clara was definitely on her like her way out, and Linda was definitely getting the paperwork in order. Who is this attorney? Sketchy people, the city is lawless. lawless. They can do anything. Seattle has no laws. There's no real law. I mean, like doctors. Kind of still. <laughs> kind of still lawless. Kind of is a little lawless. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, how long was she planning on keeping them there? Ooh. I was wondering. Yeah. It doesn't seem like very long. It doesn't seem that way, but, like, obviously, these fasts, if the people didn't quit, it kind of just seemed like maybe she helped these people out and like put them on treatment until they quit and if they didn't quit they would get to like in the 30 day 40 day 50 day range and that's when things really started to go downhill for them like yeah what i mean was there people that she actually like okay you're done fasting now i treated you bye like was there people like that or was it all okay i'm not sure because i think maybe there was a little bit of a mixture of that and a little bit of mixture of people that like came to their senses and like got out in time again it i think it was a kind of you could Walk in, walk out, but, like, on clinic days. Yeah. Depending on how severely sick they were, it depended on, like, how frequently they were treated. And um, maybe she could just sense those people that, like, held on to hope for, like, that long extended period of months. Mm-hmm. 
those were those were the people those were the ones that she was like I see an opportunity it seems like she went with like the extra gullible people the the gullible and the wealthy so she yes thought. yes and um yeah so uh, with that, I'm gonna leave you. Ooh, I love it's a cliffhanger. No, part two. Well, we, uh, I mean, we can pretty much assume that this doesn't go well for these ladies. So I guess. <laughs> well, and we haven't even got into the sanitarium. So uh, definitely, I am waiting impatiently for that next part. I know. Um, I would like to tell you today, but uh, we just. We got things to do. Yes. Today. We had a short window. Yeah, but we tried to fill it as much as possible and, you know, got to upgrade some equipment. And Oh, yeah. Ashley got a new laptop. I did. I hope this sounds better. <laughs> we also recorded for, like, over 20 minutes before realizing that our mics weren't really plugged in. Yeah. I mean, so it sounded okay, but not it great. It sounded okay, but it did not sound good. No, not good. So that's for sure. So start over for you. Well, on that note, we will go ahead and bid you adieu. Adieu. Please be safe out there. Goodbye. Bye.